Praise the Lord. Hello and a huge welcome to everyone who's joined us for this week's Under My Roof. We have a very new twist to a very good structure. So Under My Roof has, um, it's its birthday. Praise so the we Lord. Have one year. Hello of Under My Roof. And uh, so happy birthday to everyone who's joined us for a year so far and a huge welcome to all the newcomers as well. So the reason why I said we have a new twist on a very good structure is that, you know, how usually we have music, then we have uh, a talk and then we have question and answer. We're going to keep that because um, so many of you have commented about how great that system works. But towards the end, um, we have an extra session. So we'll have another 30 minutes in a Zoom meeting. So this will involve a discussion. And the reason why we've done this is because we want to hear from you. So for a whole year, you've heard from us, from many talented speakers. We've had loads and loads of emails about feedback. But this time, for the next year, let's hope it's a year, we want to hear from you. So in this discussion session, we're going to give you some questions. We'll go into breakout rooms and we'll discuss between us in some um, small rooms in Zoom. And then we'll come back and talk together. So for those that are joining on YouTube, um, you can email us at undermyroof uh, at divineuk.org if you'd like to be part of the discussion session. For those of you that have already been subscribed to our emails, the link will be in the email. But I'll explain this again towards the end of this particular session. So after Darren's talk and his Q&A session, we'll then talk about this discussion session again. So um, today's uh, topic is the biblical roots of the Holy Mass. Now, this is a huge topic. It's of fundamental importance to our Catholic faith because the Holy Mass is the crux of our faith. Without the Holy Mass, there's, not, there's no point saying that you're a Catholic if you don't know what the Mass is or the Holy Mass is and attending the Mass. So we have loads of questions and loads of things that we understand and we don't understand about the Holy Mass. So hopefully after today's session, we'll all have a fresh understanding of what the Holy Mass means and the roots, the roots of the Holy Mass are actually found in the Bible. So Darren's going to enlighten us with that. Um, so as usual, we have some rules. So if you want to participate in asking the questions in the question and answer session, you need to be in Zoom, not on YouTube, you need to be on Zoom. And uh, you can uh, I'll type in the questions there and we'll then promote each question to the speaker who will then answer your questions. If you're facing any technical difficulties, you can use the chat function so that we can help you. You can also ask your friends to join us live on YouTube. So maybe they can't join in Zoom, but they can watch on YouTube. So this is um, the QR code that you can uh, zap to them. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, we're going to start off with um, Divine UK. No, I didn't mention that actually. <laughs> so we're going to start off with the Divine UK's choir for the worship session. We'll then move on to Brother Anthony Darren Prem Kumar's talk on the Holy Mass. And we'll end with a question and answer session before we move in to the discussion session. So without further ado, I welcome Divine UK's music team. That's our Joan and Jeremiah to lead us in worship, please. Good morning to everyone out there. Uh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Today, I don't want to speak much. I know you've heard this Bible verse, like from the time you've been born, even when you were a baby, I bet you've heard this Bible verse, but I won't tell you. I want to tell everyone who's listening today, there is hope. There is hope for you. God is telling you in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil. I give you to give you a future and hope. My lovely people of God, there is hope today. So don't worry, let's sing and let's praise the Lord. We're going to sing this beautiful hymn called Break Open the Sky and we're going to worship and we're going to have a beautiful time now.
sing with us, yeah, come on. From the lips of desperation, different nation, every man's cry. Comes the song of anticipation as we wait for a crack in the sky. Sabu Sabu, hope has brought us, hope has brought us together tonight. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. Come on, sing with us. Open the sky Won't you turn off gravity So we can fly We want to see your face Sit at the roof of this place Jesus, break open the skies Come on, sing with us Break open the skies Won't you turn off gravity so we can fly We wanna see your face Sit at the roof of this place Jesus, break open the sky We say, we see you it's morning i know it's 11 o'clock but that's my morning time i'm just kidding but i wanted to sing whoa oh and let's just enjoy let's just get into the reggae vibes right now let's just enjoy for the lord and let's just sing whoa oh again come on whoa oh come on everybody whoa oh oh In our streets, not forgotten are your people. So let a thousand church bells ring. Come on, you sing. Come on, pray. Open the skies. Come on, everybody. Won't you turn on gravity so we can fly? We want to see your face. So tear the roof off. just gotta sing whoa-oh. In the middle of darkness, you gotta sing whoa-oh. In the middle of pain, you gotta sing whoa-oh. In the middle of your problems, you just gotta sing whoa-oh to the Lord, not to everybody, not to anybody, not to humans, but to God. And God will make everything all right. So we sing whoa-oh, my people of God. Whoa-oh, come on. So tell the 
2014 in Porta in Kerala there was this power event for the youth and the faith choir for the faith band from Goa started singing this song and I was just so not interested and as they started singing this song I don't know what happened to me the same thing right now what's happening to Joan and I we're just feeling the power of the Holy Spirit and I want you to feel the same power we sing break open the sky again come on Thank you so much, uh, Joel and Jeremiah. And with that, I pass it over to Brother Anthony, Darren Prem Kumar. Um, take it away, Darren. Thank you, Mario. Thank you. I'm just going to share my screen. Uh, okay. Can you, go, can you see, Mario? Yes, Dan. Okay, great. So uh, good morning from the UK to all of you. Um, so welcome to this talk on the biblical roots of the Holy Mass. And so before I start, what is the purpose of this talk? So all of us, you know, um, most of us here, if we are born Catholic, would have been going to Mass, you know, pretty much our whole lives. And so for a lot of us, going to the Mass would have become like something of a routine. And when something becomes a routine, it becomes very systematic in our minds. And so whenever we go to Mass, we won't necessarily be paying attention, although we will know the responses, we will know what to say, because we have been saying our whole lives. But the question is, do we actually understand the meaning of the words that we say, or the responses um, that we say, and of what we hear from the priest? You know, we've heard it all our lives, but do we actually understand what the priest is saying and what we say? And so through this talk, you know, please God, that all of us, at the end, we'll get um, a greater appreciation of the Mass. And 
after um, this talk, so this talk will be split in two halves. So today, because the mass is very big, we'll be um, talking about the introductory rites and um, the liturgy of the word. And then next time, we'll be more focused on the Eucharist and the, um, and the concluding rite. But at, at the end of both of these um, talks, I, I hope that we all have uh, fresh eyes towards um, the mass. So without further ado, let's go, let's get started. So, um, so before we start um, understanding what the understanding the parts of the mass, we need to actually know what the mass is generally. So the mass is the central act of Christian worship since the apostles. So that's one thing that we need to remember that the mass is a continuation of the apostles of the worship of the apostles. It is a continuation of the Jewish tradition. So this is a foundation that we need to remember that the mass is a continuation of the Jewish tradition, okay? And it is also the celebration of the Eucharist instituted by Jesus himself in the Last Supper. So the Eucharist is the center of the celebration of the mass. So St. John Paul II, one second. So St. John Paul II, um, when regarding the mass, he says, that the, it is the saving, the saving mystery of Jesus is death and resurrection is gathered up, foreshadowed and concentrated in the gift of the Eucharist. So the redemption out, the resurrection, the death, resurrection and the ascension to heaven is all gathered up and foreshadowed in the gift of the Eucharist. And so the, the catechism also says two important things about the mass. So it says that the Eucharist, which is the center of the Mass, is the source and summit of Christian life. So it is the center of our life as Catholics, as Christians. The Eucharist is the center. So all our worship, all that we do, is meant to be focused. Our life as Christians, our spiritual lives, especially as Christians, is all supposed to be focused on the Eucharist, which is the Mass. And secondly, uh, in paragraph 1325, it says that the Eucharist is the efficacious sign and sublime cause of that communion in the divine life and that unity of the people of God by which the church is kept in being. It is the culmination both of God's actions sanctifying the world in Christ and of worship of men offered to Christ and through him to the Father in the Holy Spirit. So I've highlighted two parts of this paragraph. The two parts that we need to remember is that it is the communion of divine life and the unity of the people of God. So in other words, mass is the time where we come into union with Christ, where we come face to face with Jesus. And secondly, it is God's action sanctifying the world in Christ. So the difference we must remember between all our prayers that we will say before mass and the Mass itself is that all our prayers outside of Mass is our actions getting closer to God. However, in the Eucharistic celebration, it is God's sanctifying words in Christ that comes to us. So in other words, it is God's actions towards us. So you see, what is more powerful now? Our, our, um, our prayers, our devotion to God or God coming towards us. So the Mass is an extremely powerful moment for all of us um, as Catholics, as Christians. So the order of the Mass, okay, so it's split into four parts, the Mass, okay. So we have the introductory rite, we have the liturgy of the Word, we have the liturgy of the Eucharist, and we have the concluding rite. So like I said in the beginning, we will start today, we will cover the introductory rite and the liturgy of the Word. And the next time we will cover the liturgy of the Eucharist and the concluding rite. Okay, so the introductory rite. So every Mass, of course, we know starts off with the sign of the cross. You know, the priest says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Again, this is something that we do all the time, maybe before we step out of our house and go somewhere or before um, traveling, we put the, do the sign of the cross. But what does it actually mean, the sign of the cross? What are the biblical roots of the sign of the cross? 
So to understand this action that we do, we need to see the importance of it as sign and as words. So as a sign, the, the biblical roots of it, we see in Ezekiel's vision. Okay, so in Ezekiel's vision, what happens? So Ezekiel receives a vision from God. And in his vision, all the leaders, um, all the Jewish leaders were committing idolatry. And God was very angry. God was upset about this. And he said that there will be judgment on all these people who are committing idolatry. However, in Ezekiel's vision, not everybody was committing this um, idolatry. And all those who were not committing this idolatry received a Hebrew letter called Tav. And the Tav is basically a cross. And so when they had this cross in their forehead, what it meant was that it was it was a sign that they will not they'll be protected from God's judgment. And if they had the sign of the cross, it was to show that they are distinguished from the rest of the culture that was um, committing idolatry. And so the cross was a sign of protection and distinguishing distinguishment from the rest of um, the culture, from the rest of the society that was committing this idolatry in Ezekiel's vision. And so for us in the mass, what does it mean then? It means two things, that we, are, we show desire to be set apart from the corruption of the world. And it, we are in, it is, when we do the sign of the cross, we ask for God's protection from evil and from temptation. So the sign of the cross, my dear friends, is part of our identity of, of, of um, belonging to Christ, belonging to his church. So what does it mean as words? So it is a sign of worship. We invoke through the words that we say in the sign of the cross, in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, we invoke God's presence and power. And this is very similar when we read the scriptures to when the Israelites called on God's name, you know, and they praised him, asking for help. And so when we ask for help, of course, we are offering, it is a sign that we are offering all our burdens and all our difficulties of life to God. So you see how deep just a sign of the cross is. It shows that you are being protected from the and protected from evil and that you're distinguished from this, the rest of society. And it is also a sign that you're asking for God's uh, providence in your life. You're asking for God's intervention in your life. So the sign of the cross, which is something that we do so regularly itself, has such a deep meaning. So then what do we do? What happens next? So after the sign of the cross, the priest greets us. So the priest says, the Lord be with you. And then the people respond with your spirit. So what does this mean biblically? So in the words in the Old Testament, when God chose a significant people to carry out um, his missions, you know, the prophet, you know, you got Joshua, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Moses, so all these great prophets God sent for his work. But when God sent them, God guaranteed them of something. God guaranteed them his presence. And so, for example, in Joshua 1.9, when God was sending Joshua out to, um, to preach, what did God say to Joshua? I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what does this mean for us? As Catholics, as Christians, as people of God, we too are to carry out a mission in our life. We all have this individual mission. We all have this general calling and we all have a specific calling. And so this specific calling is our mission of life. And in this mission that God sends us, he is guaranteeing us of his presence. He is telling us, like he said to Joshua, don't be frightened of where I'm sending you. Don't be dismayed because I am with you wherever you go, whether you go to work, whether you go to school, university, I am with you wherever you go. So God is guaranteeing us his presence. And so then, and of course, another example is Moses. When God sent Moses to, um, to, to liberate the Hebrews, God said to Moses, you know, in the burning bush, I will be with you. Again, to Moses, God is guaranteeing him his presence and his protection. And so then we respond, and with your spirit. 
And so this is a very important moment for between the relationship between us and the priest. So when we say, and with your spirit, what we are doing is that we are acknowledging the purpose of the priest through his uh, sacred ordination. We are acknowledging the role of the priest in the mass. And so what we are now doing at this moment is we are asking the priest to be who we need him to be. So in other words, we are asking the priest and with your spirit and with this, we want you to be the bridge between us and heaven. We want you to be the person to bring Jesus to us and so that we can enter a clothed, intimate relationship with Christ. And so the priest becomes that bridge between the earthly liturgy, which we celebrate, and the heavenly liturgy, which, is, which happens in heaven as we celebrate the mass. So in other words, who is the priest? The priest is the Latin word persona Christi. Persona Christi means the person of Christ. Okay. So after the greetings, we go to the confetio. The confetio is the, you know, I confess prayer. And so the, in the Old Testament, when people were preparing themselves to encounter God, they needed to, um, they needed to go through like uh, some kind of like preparation ritual. And so, and in Exodus 19.10, we see this in Mount Sinai, when God was coming to Mount Sinai, what did he say? He said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so what God was telling them is, because I am coming, they must be prepared to see me. And so in the Mass, we are also going to see Christ in the form of the Eucharist. Gee, we're going to see Jesus, who is God incarnate. And so we also need to go through some form of preparation before we see Jesus. And so that is what the confetior is. The confetior is our preparation of the coming of Jesus from heaven to earth through the form of the Eucharist. And so the mass, of course, is the preparation of Jesus. And so let's actually break down the mass, the, sorry, break down the confetior. So we, when we start off the confetior, confetior prayer, we start off, the, start off with the words, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. So what does this mean? The biblical roots of this comes from James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and active. So when we say these words, I confess, we are humbling ourselves. We are putting ourselves full of, we are clothing ourselves with humility. And we are basically proclaiming, Lord, my brothers and sisters in this church right now, I am weak and I am in need of your prayers. I am a sinner, but it is your prayers that will get me healing. And so this is also like, you could say, a form of um, intercession. And then, uh, then after that, we say, in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. So what does this mean? This means that this shows that we have sinned in four different ways. We have sinned through our thoughts, through our words, through what we have done and through what we have failed to do. And so now let's explore these four different ways that we have sinned. So through our thoughts, how we have sinned. So Matthew 5.28 it says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery within her heart, within his heart. And so what does this mean? This means that even if you have lust in your eyes, in your heart, you have committed adultery. Even if you, even if you have, um, even if you have a, a feeling of revenge in your minds, in your thoughts, you have committed sin. Even if you have anger, if you have uh, unforgiveness, you have committed sin there. And so this shows that even in our thoughts, we have sinned. 
And so in other words, what we need to make sure we do is that we keep our thoughts in what is good. And St. Paul says this in his epistles. And so then how have we sinned in our words? Again, James chapter 3, verse 89, 8 to 9 says, But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. So you see, all of us are made in the image and likeness of God. And we use this very mouth, these words to praise God. But how many times have we also said bad things to people, wounding people, causing wounds in their hearts? How many times have we insulted someone, insulted our own parents or spoke back against our parents, saying hurtful words? So this is also sin, which we need to offer up and prepare in preparation for the coming of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And then in what we have done, again, so this is a very common uh, form of self-examination, examining what we have done in our sins. You know, and again, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become accountable of, for all of it. So we know the law of God, the Ten Commandments. We know Jesus has told us what it is that we need to do to have a holy life. But then again, how many times have we acted in disobedience to the commands of God and done things uh, that go against what God expects of us? So this is something, again, that we also offer up to God, asking for God's uh, pardon, asking for his forgiveness. And in what we have failed to do, so again, once again, James says, St. James, anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. And so you see, there is something very important that we all need to know. And that is that we all have a responsibility for a soul. And with that responsibility, we need to make sure that this soul is going in the right path, in the right direction of their life. And more importantly, they are going, walking forward according to God's will. And so, for example, if you're a mother or a father, you have responsibility of the soul of your children. If you're a brother, you have responsibility of your siblings. And so it is your duty, therefore, to make sure that these souls that you are responsible for are in the going according to how God wants them to live their life. And so, therefore, if you have realized that your, uh, that your children or your husband or your siblings are not in the right direction of their spiritual life, then it is up to you to make sure by the grace of God that you ensure that your children, your husband, your siblings are going in the right direction of God. And then after this, after these acknowledge, acknowledgement of different sins, we then say, with uh, striking our breast, we say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. So what does this mean? This means that we are acknowledging the gravity of our sins. And by saying it like this, um, we are basically telling God, you know, Lord, you know, for all these four different sins that I have committed, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we are asking God for mercy and forgiveness. So then after this, it is the Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, the Lord have mercy, um, Christ have mercy, and then Lord have mercy. So again, this is a great prayer of repentance and mercy. So when it comes to mercy, there is something that we need to remember. It is that we should not see mercy, as St. John Paul II says, a relationship of inequality. And so when, for example, we are told to ask for mercy from someone, Sometimes from a distance, it can seem like a relationship of inequality that the person you are asking mercy from is someone of higher authority, higher um, status, or you know that's higher than you. But then John Paul II says, we must not see as asking mercy as a relationship of inequality, but rather when we ask for mercy, especially from God, we are asking mercy for redemption and for healing. And so... Again, like, for example, it says in Psalms 51, verse 17, a sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
So in other words, what God wants from you is other, other than seeing, other than granting you mercy, he wants to heal you. He wants to free you from the sins you have committed. And so asking for mercy is not simply saying, just saying that we are sorry, but we're also saying, Lord, I am sorry. But in return, please heal me. Please uh, make me a new creation. Make me someone new. Uh, free me from sin. Redeem me. And so asking for mercy is in fact such a powerful, powerful thing. But we must remember that we can also, um, also in Matthew 9, 27 to 29, um, the blind people is a great example of when they ask for healing, ask for mercy, they received healing. So again, it says here, have mercy on our son of David. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So again, when we ask for mercy, we are also showing God our faith in him. And like these blind men, when they asked God for mercy, asked Jesus for mercy, they received healing. So one thing that we also need to remember is that when it comes to the Lord, the Kyrie Eleison, Christa Eleison, when it comes to this, we don't just ask for mercy for ourselves, but we can ask mercy for others. And again, Matthew 17, 15 and 18, it says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. He often falls into fire and often into water. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was cured instantly. So again, we see a request. Someone is asking Jesus for mercy and uh, mercy for someone else. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus hears the cry of mercy on behalf of this other person and healing takes place. So my dear friends, in this part of the Mass, we can also ask for mercy for our families, for people that have hurt us, for people that, have, um, that you know that are in the completely wrong path, who have wounded you. This is, the, this is the point in the Mass where you can also ask God for mercy from them. Just like how Jesus was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they are doing. In the Mass, we too also ask Jesus, now, Father, have mercy on these people because they do not know what they are doing. They do not know that they have hurt me and that they have hurt you. So, Father, ask, I ask for mercy for these people. So now after this, we say the Gloria, and the Gloria and, it is, and the Collect. Okay, so the Gloria is quite a big prayer. But so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take different parts of the Gloria and I will explain each part of the Gloria, okay? So... What is the Gloria? It is a, it's a repentance to praise, you know, and there's a very important, um, there's a very important um, tone to this, because now through the Kyrie Eleison and the Confetio, all of this was almost like a prayer of repentance. But now when we say the Gloria, we are shifting tone. So now we are shifting from um, a tone of repentance. We are now shifting to a tone of praise. Okay, and so this tone, the shift in tone, we can see in the Gospels. For example, in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So what Jesus is saying there is, when you repent, there is then glory then you receive glory, you receive, there is joy after repentance. So this is what the Gloria does. The Gloria is foreshadowing the shift from repentance to praise. And so the Gloria has, it's like a, it's a story of God in three acts. So his coming through the sun, his, the redemption and the resurrection. Okay. So we start off with this glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men of goodwill. So where does this come from? This comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 14, when the angels were speaking to the shepherds about the Savior, the birth of Jesus. The angels said, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. So again, this is a worship of the angels that we are repeating. And then another part of the Gloria is, O Lord God, heavenly King, O oh God, the Almighty Father, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. So what does this mean? This means that we are, ref we are referring to God's omnipotence, his fatherhood for us. We are referring to the divine sonship 
of Jesus. And in, in Hebrew, one, two, one, um, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoke to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So this sonship of Jesus is our redemption. And then further on in the Gloria, we say, Lamb of God, Son of the Father. So what does this mean? This is, this refer, is referring to the redemptive mission of Christ. This is the purpose of Jesus is Jesus coming to the earth. And then again, in the Gloria, we say, you who sit in the right hand of Father, of the Father, have mercy on us. So this again shows the Jesus' position of authority. And then again, in the Gloria, we then say, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone, O Jesus Christ, are most high. So this again, it's the song of the angels that we read in Revelations. In Revelation 15, verse 4, we read, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. So one thing that we need to remember is a lot of these prayers of the Gloria, we are not just saying it by ourselves, but we are joining the angelic voices in heaven. And then again, we've, we say, together with the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father. So again, just shows uh, this is this shows how Jesus is praised that he is praising the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father. So this that was all the introductory, right? So now we go to the liturgy of the Word. Okay. So this is the structure of the liturgy of the Word. So we we start off with the Old Testament, then we have the Psalms, then we have the New Testament, and then we have the Gospel. And if you look at this, this transition is a very similar transition from Israel of the Old Testament to the church that we have today. God worked wonders in Israel in the Old Testament, but the gospel is the climax. It is Jesus, the center of salvation history. And that is why it ends with the gospels. We end with salvation at its climax with Jesus. And so the first reading is always, we probably know this, is from the Old Testament, and it always has a connection to the gospel. St. Augustine says something so important about this. So he says, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old is made manifest in the New. And so, in other words, the Old Testament, the Old Testament has the salvation history in a hidden way. And then after the Old Testament, we have the Psalms, okay? And when we normally, we say, um, normally over here in seminary, we sing the Psalms because when we sing the Psalms, it creates an atmosphere of praise, just like the angelic atmosphere in the heavenly liturgy. And you must remember that um, this, the Psalms is our response to God for all that he has said through the prophets in the first reading. It is our response to God. Okay, and the structure of the Psalms is very important. Okay, so when we, the structure of the Psalms has imitates the heavenly liturgy and the earthly liturgy. So if you haven't got this by now, the liturgy that we celebrate here in church on earth is very, very similar to the heavenly liturgy that happens simultaneously as mass is celebrated. So the structure we read in Revelations. So in Revelations 5, uh, verses 11 to 13, there are angels that are surrounding the throne and the elders, and they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then there's a response. Then the creatures in heaven and earth and under the earth respond, The ones seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So what does this show? We have, so, um, we have someone, we have the angels that say one thing, then the creatures in heaven and earth respond with something else, with another, with another word, other words. And so when we do the Psalms, what do we see? We see the, uh, the cantor who is saying the response, and then we repeat that response. Then after that, the cantor will probably say a Psalm, uh, will say a Psalm, and then we repeat after that psalm, after that verse of the psalm is said, we repeat with the response. And so this back and forward 
um, um, way of um, responding to the Old Testament is also shown in, in Revelations. And so, again, this is very uh, relatable to the, uh, to the heavenly liturgy. And then after that, we have the second reading. And the second reading, of course, we know it is independent of the first reading and the gospel. It draws out practical applications to live out our lives. So the second reading is normally the epistles, or it can even be the Acts of the Apostles. And then after that, we have the gospel. So the gospel is a very important part, because like the Vatican II says, the gospel is the principal source of life and the teaching of the incarnate word. We must remember that the gospel, like St. Paul says, the word of God is alive and active, and it is like a double-edged sword. I have a picture of St. Paul there with the double-edged sword. So the, um, the gospel can cut you, it can change you, it can fix you. And so when we read the gospel, it is no ordinary historical text that we are reading, but it is truth, it is alive. And there's one thing that we need to realize about the gospels that is different. So in the other readings, we sit down and we are listening, right? We listen to the first readings and we are sit down and we respond to the Psalms and the second reading as well. But when it comes to the gospel, there are more actions involved. So first of all, we stand and this is, um, and we stand to welcome Jesus who is going to be proclaimed in the gospels, who is the climax of um, salvation history. And this is very similar to what happens in Nehemiah. So when Ezra, when the prophet Ezra had the book of the law of Moses, what happens? When he opened the book in the sight of all the people, uh, he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So when Nehemiah had the book of the law of Moses, everyone showed reverence to this by standing up. And this is exactly what we do. The gospel is is the new law of Moses. It's a bigger, better, it's a more important, it's the climatic uh, book of salvation history, gospel of salvation history. And so how much more reverence do we have to show when the gospel is being opened? And so like that, we too stand to welcome Jesus in the gospel. And after this, in the gospel, we sing a gospel acclamation where the, um, where the reader will say, Alleluia, Alleluia. And so when we say hallelujah, this is a Hebrew expression of praise. And again, this we see this in Revelation chapter 9, 19, verses 1 to 3. Um, the angels rejoice in heaven and they say hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. Hallelujah. The smoke goes up forever and ever. So again, once again, we are joining the angelic voices in heaven as we prepare for the gospel to be read out to all of us and so this is very important afterwards afterwards so whilst the go whilst the gospel um, procession is about to begin the priest um, the priest or the deacon says says these words we don't hear these words but the priest in the rubric says these words cleanse my heart and my lips almighty god that i may worthily proclaim your holy gospel and there is a significant biblical root for this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, it says this. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard then... Um, then Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So then again, we see that when Isaiah was going to um, uh, preach to proclaim God's words to the people, the seraph um, blessed Isaiah by blessing his uh, heart and his lips. And so our actions. So then, when when um when the 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 priest or the deacon says uh, a reading from the gospel according to Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do a sign of the cross. But this time, it is not like the sign of the cross that we do in the beginning, 
in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But this time, the sign of the cross, we do it like this. We do it um, um, in our minds. We put a sign of the cross in our minds, on our head, on our lips, and in our hearts. So in other words, what we are asking is that the gospel that we read may always be in our minds, that we may preach and share and speak the gospel to others with our lips, and that we treasure the gospel in our hearts and that we live our life according to the gospel. So after the gospel is read, a homily is then a homily is then said. And a homily in Greek means explanation. So in other words, it is the explanation of the gospel and it is to help people understand. And what happens then is that when the priest or the deacon preaches and explains the gospel, the apostolic faith is passed down. And again, we see the pre homily in Nehemiah. Uh, it, says, it says this, Also Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Pela, Peleha, the Levites, they all helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that people understood the reading. So it is so important that when we read the gospel, that there is someone to then break the gospel and be able to distribute it and share it and help you understand. But we must remember when the priest or the deacon is preaching, it is not them that is preaching, but their mouth is used by God. So God uses them as an instrument to break down the gospel so that each of us can take a very important message home. So this leads to the next point. Who can give the homily? The only the ordained minister can give the homily. Some people say, you know, Father, there are some, uh, or some people may say, oh, no, you know, there are more people that are more theologically minded to, um, to preach that, that are very, that know the gospel a lot more than the priest would know. But So why can't lay people preach the gospel? But you must remember, the gospel is a sacred part of the of the celebration of the holy mass so god has appointed priests ordained ministers to break the gospel and to share the gospel with the people so it does not matter if there is someone that is more theologically sound the priest has been chosen by god and the priest will be god's chosen mouthpiece to share the gospel so like i said the holy spirit works through the ordained minister to pass on the teachings of Christ. So after the homily, it is the creed, okay? And the creed shows salvation history from the creation, the fall, and redemption. So the creation being from Genesis to redemption in Revelation. And so this comes from a Jewish tradition. The Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, baked Jewish tradition, they call it the Shema. The Shema is a profession of faith. So what was their profession of faith? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So this was their profession of faith in the Jew for the Jews, that there was only one God. And this one God we must love with all our heart, soul, and might. And so when we say the creed, our profession of belief, there we are proclaiming two kinds of belief. We're proclaiming an intellectual belief, and this intellectual belief being that God exists. We are acknowledging the belief that God exists. And then we are also proclaiming our personal belief. And this personal belief is that we are entrusting ourselves to God who we know exists. And, you know, if you can compare this to, for example, mathematics, okay? We know that two plus two equals four. That is our intellectual understanding. And it is true. Two plus two equals four. No, you can't argue against that. Likewise, God exists. That is our intellectual belief, our core belief. God exists. And there is no uh, arguing against that. He, he exists. But then the personal belief is our personal belief in God, who we can, as a person that we can entrust ourselves to. And this is very much like marriage. Okay. So when a husband says to the wife, you know, I believe in you, I trust in you. Or if the wife says the same thing to her husband, what is happening there is that the spouse is saying, 
No, when I believe in you, that means I am trusting my life to you. I am sharing my life to you because in marriage, we become one. And so likewise, in the creed, our proclamation of faith is showing that we are becoming one with God. And then after this, we have the prayers of the faithful, which is the intercessory part of the mass. And it origins from Acts of the Apostles. When Peter was in prison, the church Jerusalem earnestly prayed for him. So again, see, that, is, that shows intercessions. And we carry out this intercession in, um, in the prayers of the faithful. So what is the importance? We read in 1 Timothy, uh, St. Paul says to, in the letters to Timothy, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that, he, so that we may be led a quiet and peace, peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So in the prayers of the faithful, in this part of intercession, we are praying for our fellow brothers and sisters so that they can all, every, all say be saved in the knowledge of the truth. And so after that, we have the liturgy of the Eucharist. But um, like I said earlier, this is another very big section of the, um, of the, of the liturgy. And so I won't go into it today. I'll go into this next time. But um, yeah, so that was the liturgy of the word. And um, I hope you guys all saw the biblical roots of it and how fundamentally you know, important each part of um, it is. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. That was excellent. I know I definitely learned a lot. So if I've learned a lot, I'm guessing everyone else has learned a colossal amount as well. So first of all, thank you very much. Before we go on to our question and answer session, I'm just going to take a few minutes now to explain a discussion session before um, we end. So we have some questions. We have some questions that have come in for Darren to answer. I will go on to them very briefly. But first about the discussion session. So this is the extra bit of Under My Roof from now on. If you would like to become part of the discussion session, so it's not in this Zoom meeting, we will have another Zoom link that will be sent out. If you'd like to take part in the discussion session, please email us. So there's two email addresses you can use. It's youth at divineuk.org or uh, you can email us at undermyroof at divineuk.org. So for those that are using Zoom, this will be put into the chat now. If you can just email us a quick sub, uh, so the heading, just put it as want to join discussion or join discussion, something simple. And one of our team will give you the Zoom link um, for this. Alternatively, we'll also have the link to join in this chat session section of the Zoom. So mainly for YouTube viewers, if you would like to take part in the discussion session, which is going to take part in about 10 minutes, please be very quick. Email us at youth at divineuk.org or under my roof at divineuk.org and we will send you by email the link to the Zoom session where we'll have a discussion. So we've also had a few questions about the discussion session. So this is really to foster your discussion. We want to hear you. We want to hear you talk about your faith. So it will be about 30 to 45 minutes between us. So we'd like you to have your voices unmuted so you can talk to us, preferably have your camera on so we can see you. This is really so that we can meet each other, albeit being online, but across the world. So from wherever you are, we really want to meet you, we want to see you, we want to talk about Jesus. We want to hear you talk about Jesus. So please email us to join the discussion. So Darren, now we have the questions. So we've got some very, very good questions. The first one, we know that there's a new um, a way of celebrating mass compared to the traditional Latin way. Mm. So do you, could you explain or do you know the main differences between the traditional Latin mass and the Novus Ordo mass? So the way the Vatican II, it's been um, remodeled. Do you know the differences between the Latin and the new mass? Yeah, so the Latin mass, we say the Latin mass here quite often sometimes, actually. And um, so the, Lat the Latin is our traditional mass. It's because we, the Roman, the Roman Catholics is a Latin rite mass. Okay, we as Roman Catholics, we belong to the Latin rite. So we traditionally have 
the Latin right. But uh, the new the new ways of we have said we say mass. There are some words that have been um, translated quite differently, and this is simply because of the development of understanding. Okay, um, more theologians have come together. Development of the scriptures has been um, has been uh, uh, the development has been increased, and so people have this new way. There's this new way of understanding mass now, and so because of that, some of the words have now slightly changed, and um, and some words actually you know mean uh, more uh, have a more powerful meaning to it now. And so that's that's all it is. It's it's very the structure, the format. It's all very pretty much the same, but some words have been translated because of a development of understanding. Yeah, and there's also a few of the like the positional differences. So like before, the priest and the people used to face one mm -hmm. direction, and now the priest can face towards the people and celebrate mass. Yeah. And also now the the in traditional mass, obviously it was in Latin. But now the um, the common new the common mass is said in the regional language. Mm. So I guess those are a few of the differences as well. Yeah. So thank you, yeah. Aaron, for explaining that. Um, the next uh, question is: um, We recite the Gloria and the Creed on Sundays and um, on feast days. Why do we not have to say the Creed or the Gloria during ordinary weekday masses? Mm. Because sun every Sunday is a solemnity, solemnity, solemnity. <laughs> every Sunday, you know, is a is the day of worship. You know, the Sabbath, for example, in the Jewish tradition, was always on a Sunday, and so Sunday is always given like a is a special day of reverence to the liturgy and, and to God, and so that is why in Sundays we say the Gloria. Every other day is a day of um. Of, uh, of 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 worship to God. Every day should be a day of worship to God, but because we don't say it on the weekdays, we are celebrating it. Um, we we keep it on a Sunday because Sunday is a special day of reverence. Of it's a solemnity. So if you realize, for example, this Easter after Easter, so after we have the Easter Tridium, this whole this week is a week of East is the Holy Week of Easter, right? So if you've been to Mass, we've been say, we've we've been we have been saying the Gloria every single day right because it's a, each day this week is a solemnity of the resurrection and so that is why we say um, the gloria this week because it's the week of solemnity but normally we keep it to a sundays because sundays is normally the day of solemnity and each other day is um it's, it's a regular day okay thank you darren um so the next question is about the readings so we have two readings and a gospel is there any significance in having two readings and then a gospel? Why not three readings and no gospel, or just one reading and one gospel? Mm. Um, why is it so? Is there any significance? Yeah, there's a massive significance <laughs> because because um, I showed you on my slides earlier, right? That in when we have the Old Testament, the first read Old Testament Psalms, first reading, no, Old Testament Psalms, second reading, and the gospel, it is it shows a transition from Israel, from God, um, from the liberation of the Hebrews and um, in the Old Testament all the way until the climax of um, salvation history, which is Jesus. And Jesus is presented in the Gospels. And so by going through that, we are, in other words, going through salvation history, okay, through, the, through each of these different readings. And so that is why it's extremely significant. Yeah. And uh, another question, we have altar servers um, during mass. Is there a biblical role for altar servers? Uh, for altar servers, I am not too sure. I'll have to come back on that one. But from what can, but an altar server is a very significant role in the mass actually, you know, because, you know, just imagine this, the way I used to see the mass and when I see the altar servers, I always would see, the altar servers as the angels in the altar that would be celebrating um, uh, celebrating the mass, you know, sorry, helping celebrate the mass. Because I said earlier, right, that Christ is persona Christi. So these altar servers are like angels that are supporting, helping the celebration of Christ um, in this, um, in the mass. So in other words, altar servers are basically symbols of angels, but I'm not too sure where the biblical um, um, part of that is. Okay, thank you, Darren. 
Um, so that wraps up our question and answer session. So we're now going to close this session. So to be a bit more clear, we're now ending this meeting. It will be ending the stream on YouTube. For those that emailed us, you'll have a new link. Please go onto that new link. We'll see you there in another Zoom meeting. It's not this meeting, it's another meeting. And also we're limited to a hundred people, okay? So this is rush, <laughs> first come, first serve, be there or it's gone. Um, first hundred people and we'll admit that into the, um, the Zoom meeting. Um, we really hope you've enjoyed this session. Uh, this is something that we're trialing out for the next session. So next week we'll come back with the feedback of the discussion. I hope to see many of you there. Um, so for this week, for this particular aspect, this is it. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this session. We thank you for revealing to us the hidden, the secrets behind the Holy Mass. It's not visible for everyone to see, Lord, because it's so sacred. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for choosing us to reveal your precious gifts to us about the Holy Mass, your precious revelations. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the media that brings us together. We thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for each and every one who is attending this Under My Roof session through YouTube or Zoom. For those that are listening to us after it's being broadcast, Lord, fill our lives with your grace, with your presence. Lord Jesus, teach us to come closer to you. Come and talk to us as we pray to you. Answer our prayers, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Wash us with your precious blood. Send your armies of angels to protect us and our families, our friends, our loved ones. Protect the places we live and the places that we go around. Lord Jesus, we ask you to fill our lives with your light and your presence. Amen. So thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye.